For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Today's guest is an award-winning RPG designer. He's also the creative director for Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu RPG. Please welcome the one and only Mike Mason to Epic Realms. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Hello. I'm great, thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for inviting me on. Good to be here. I am I'm glad that you were able to join us. I, I love Call of Cthulhu. I love the system. I love it. We have a very specific GM in our group that like they just do Call of Cthulhu and we're always excited when they play it. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. There have been people that have been asking to have you on the show. Like, when are we going to have Mike on? When are we going to have Mike on? He did the new Call of Cthulhu. You got to talk about it. He did Warhammer. You got to talk. Like, okay, okay, okay. It's going to happen. Just trust me. Trust the trust the system. That's <laughs> what I tell them. So everything in good time. Everything in good time. Everything yeah. in good time. Yes, for sure. So tell our audience kind of where you got your personal interest into like RPGs. Where did that kind of begin for you? Oh, that's that's in the mists of time. That is going back a bit to the uh, where would it be late nineteen seventies. Okay. Um, and um, I knew nothing. I mean, I I enjoyed playing games, but they were games like you know Monopoly and Risk and right. board games. Um, and I knew nothing about this crazy thing called you know role playing games. Um, and I got invited to a friend's birthday party, um, and I didn't really know what. I just thought it was going to be a birthday party. Yeah. But we I got there and it was just uh, my my friend, his brother, and uh, and some other friends sat around the dining room table with all these miniatures and these cardboard floor plans and and we just played D D. And um I, I you know I knew nothing about it. We literally you know, you're playing this, I don't know what I played, some you know fighter probably. You're this guy on the table, this miniature. Uh and 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 you know we I, I remember we we you know we met skeletons and zombies and all sorts and um packed away and had a great time and um i really loved the miniatures they they really kind of held my attention because i just i'd never seen anything like them before these really cool wizards and fighters and elves and things um and that was kind of my introduction and um and i would i just really really enjoyed it and um it wasn't long after till you know i kind of I mean, this is back in the day before the internet, so there was no way to go home and then what is role playing and look it up. Yeah, you're not going to Google search. Play, what do I read? And <laughs> there was nothing. Um, so literally, um, it was kind of talking to friends at school. Luckily, we had a, te- a history teacher who was into gaming as well, and so over kind of you know by osmosis, I, I kind of absorbed this knowledge that 
There are specialist shops that only sell, you know, role-playing games and 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 all this kind of thing. So I found the local one, uh, which wasn't in, in my hometown. It was a you know I had to get my father to drive me there. And um, and once we got there, and I was able to buy a you know buy a and D basic set and a module and a copy of White Dwarf. Um, I was then set, and then um, you know uh, and. Yeah, I was in. So, um, and then I've I kind of been playing ever since, really. So yeah. that, that was my start in a very in a nutshell, to be honest. Did you still continue using the miniatures and stuff like that? Or, or was that just like... For a long, long time, yeah. I mean, for a long time. And, um, um, I mean, I've still got quite a lot of my original miniatures and many more that have come in the, in the meantime. Um, I don't tend to use miniatures a lot these days. Um uh, mainly because I, games like Call of Cthulhu, you can use miniatures with them, but you don't really need to. So they're just a distraction in you know when you're kind of doing a more kind of investigative type of game rather than a, a combat focused game. But um, but I have even in Cthulhu been known to. I did once get out about a hundred miniatures and lay them all out and basically a big cult gathering, and the players really had their miniatures in, and it was the whole session was. You're in the middle of this cult gathering. What are you going to do? This is what it looks like, literally. <laughs> and so, <laughs> kind of blew their minds with all these miniatures. Um, obviously, I, I worked for a Games Workshop for a time, so um, inevitably, I, you know, my time at GW meant I have more miniatures than I had before because, right, you know, GW makes a lot of miniatures very cool. And um, so, yeah, I, I love them and. Um, I still paint miniatures every now and again when I get a, when I get a moment. Not not as much as I used to, but I I do enjoy you know the kind of um, very relaxing painting yeah. miniatures. So um, yeah, so you know try and try and use them when I can. I guess is the the answer. Right. You mentioned Games Workshop. Was that kind of your first big like industry job? How did you kind of get in into the industry? Yeah, well, that that was my first um, proper employment in a, in, G, in in the games industry I'd, I'd done some freelance work okay. before uh, and i'd started a fanzine um before all that uh, but gw was the first proper you know real job um and uh, i that was just look i was um working in a you know in the, in the real world doing a real job and um i was looking i was kind of bored where i was i wanted to change things up and I just looked through the, the newspaper at the job adverts, you know, and uh, there's a job at Games Workshop for a uh, an events manager. And my background is working in working in events, marketing and promotions, or project right. management, that kind of thing. And so I kind of, well, I, I know the gaming side, and I and actually I'm I am professionally an event manager. So why don't I apply? So I applied and I didn't really think I'd get it. Um, but I did. And so I joined GW as our events manager and that became events and community manager and um, special projects working on. And, and eventually I ended up um, moving internally into uh, the part of the company, it's the publishing wing, which is called Black Library, uh, to be their board games and RPG manager uh, for an imprint called Black Industries. So uh, that's where I kind of ended up um managing the kind of warhammer fantasy role-playing line but most of my time is actually developing and and uh, finishing and writing the 
Dark Heresy, the Warhammer 40k role-playing game, which yeah. um, we launched at the time. So, yeah, that kind of, you know, from running big events like Games Day to opening Warhammer World in GW's HQ in Nottingham, done all that, and then uh, managed to get out the sales side and get back into the creative side, which is obviously where I really wanted to be. But uh, right. it took a few years to get there, but uh, but I did in the end, I guess. Do you think seeing both sides of that spectrum helped you as far as career goes? You know, when you're on one end and you can see, okay, that was the sales side. I need to keep that in mind when I'm designing this or coming up with stuff. Or vice versa. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, the it, the trick about making well, the trick about keeping a job in games design, it's designing games that sell because um, we can all design. Yeah, everyone can design a game. You know, it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's you know, some people have a, a talent for it, and people can do a lot of work and do it and produce a game. But if they don't sell, um, you one get disheartened and so you lose interest and secondly no one wants to pay you to design a game because you know if you're not designing games that actually people want to buy then you know you're wasting your time to some degree yeah. um so um so having an idea about your customers or your potential customers and what they you know what they want to buy or what would interest them or what do they need um helps to inform you know the creative side and equally the creative side kind of thinking hey no one's ever thought of this before i think they're gonna like it i don't know let's try it and you know uh give it a try but um but that kind of a bit of a, a kind of uh, some commercial awareness and i just mean that in the sense of understanding your market understanding your customers understanding what else is going on in the industry um so you can find the right kind of shape your game or whatever you're doing right and um, that will fit into that market and hopefully in a successful way um I, I personally that's quite important i mean there are plenty of game designers who i'm sure would admit that they have got no commercial acumen in that sense and they're purely into the kind of design and that and that's cool that's great for yeah. me yeah. i think you know partly because of my background in working in this kind of field is that uh they kind of go hand in hand to me that you know it's you know you do understanding the market helps design the right kind of games hopefully yeah were there things that you learned from that first role or series of roles that you took over and then when you ended up working ultimately working at chaosium you're like well i you know these are tools that i learned here that i can bring to the table here now and sure i mean everything everything i've done ever has been a it's been something you learn and just assimilate in and and becomes useful down the line i mean i i did my degree was in drama and theater so which is a million kind of miles away in some degree to some degree from game design however when you're running a game there's a bit of theater involved and there's yeah. a bit of acting involved and there's a and um particularly because Although I, you know, did a lot of acting, I did a lot of stage direction as well. So, when you're running a game, um, directing your players a little bit like actors, you know, making sure they all get their turn and they all have spotlights, is a kind of skill that I developed back in those days. Yeah. Um, but equally, putting on a production in the theatre, let's say, is all about project management, understanding, yeah, you know, when, where, what, how, who, and all that, and getting them all working together. 
is very much like project managing a game or putting a, putting a publication out or running a podcast or whatever it may be. There's a lot of components you've got to kind of all make work at the same time and bring together. And so um, those kind of skills, you know, I did, you know, started to develop at university and then I kind of developed and got more experienced working in actually putting on, you know, professional events and things like that and marketing campaigns. And and throughout all of this, I was writing copy. I was writing, you know, uh, technical copy for uh, certain firms I worked for. Others, I was writing advertising copy and editorial copy. Uh, so I was developing my writing skills. I mean, you know, I, I never thought really I'd be a great writer in that sense, but, you know, I was just doing it. It was part of my job. You know, I had to write stuff, I had to write letters and books and manuals. Um, and so all that kind of technical knowledge has helped come across. And obviously when I went to GW and was, you know, writing and editing role-playing books there, you know, I was kind of applying that knowledge and learning new stuff as well, because obviously writing uh, a rule book is different to writing a technical manual. Yeah. Although there's, a, although there's a lot of similarity, because as we know, rules are technical writing, and role-playing writing tends to be a mix of technical and creative writing. You know, you've got the the fiction of the plot and the world and the setting and the characters, but then you've got the tech technical writing of the how do you insert the rules and how do you make it yeah readable and easy to understand and logical and all that kind of thing so it's kind of marrying those two things um and um yeah role-playing writing is a kind of real hybrid in my view anyway of that kind of technical and creative side which you don't get often you know anywhere else to a large yeah. degree because often you know, either it's technical or it's fiction you know one or the other you know you don't pick up a uh, a novel in the, in in a bookshop, and and in the middle of it, there's a whole kind of technical thing about what you need to know about the rules of the reading this novel. Yeah, that doesn't exist. Yeah. So, so yeah. So all these skills you pick up through life really is they all come to come to play at the end of the day, and uh, you know they. Uh, but it's you don't stop learning. You know, I'm you know it's still it's still a case of you know you learn as you learn more as you you know, do more and. Um, and uh, try out things sometimes they work sometimes they don't um but you learn from it and, and move forward a lot of rpg designers sit down and they they put together you're talking about like the technical writing and the role-playing aspect and the all of that a lot of the rpg designers they seem to while a lot of them do a lot of different things and can do a lot of different things some seem to excel highly at I'm really good at the numbers and making things balanced, or I'm really good at telling a story. I'm really good at showing this. What would you say, self-inflection, is kind of your your strongest point when it comes to putting together one of these? In terms of the game industry, my strongest point is that I'm a complete finisher. So if I say I'll do something, it will get done. And um, that is a, um, a useful skill in games design and the gaming industry. Um, that's my strongest point. Uh, but I think in terms of your question, I think um, it, it's, the it's the ideas and the expression of ideas is, is my stronger point in terms of um, being understand understanding how to convey information, hopefully in a relatively concise but easy to understand yeah. form. You know, and that's that's an evolving process. You know, the more you do, the more you learn yourself and the better you get at it because i mean the stuff i wrote when i started i you know 
wouldn't write today. Yeah. Um, probably very wordy and unnecessarily complex. Um, and you you learn as you go through to kind of refine more and more. I'm not a numbers guy. I, I dislike math. Right. I'm, I'm not a numbers guy. I mean, I I can you know I can work numbers and and do all of that stuff, but it's not. I'm. I, it doesn't turn me on in any way. There are other people I know who are far better at it than me, and I you know I I rely on those people to kind of crunch numbers and and you know tell me you know does it work does it doesn't and um but I'm uh, I'm I'm better in that kind of um, organizational you know bringing things together. To make you know to make all the component parts work better together and um and uh yeah and and yeah it's that creative fiction side is my bag really that's the you know kind of coming up with cool ideas and intricate plots and double crossing villains and crazy monsters and all that kind of stuff that's that's what i really enjoy yeah what do you think is your prized thing you came up with before moving to chaosium what do you think's like one of the big ones that you're like I made this. People come up to you all this time, and they're like, "Oh, what about this thing that you did?" <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess I am pretty proud of the of Dark Heresy, the forty k RPG, because it was the first, um, you know, tabletop RPG for the Warmer Forty Thousand Universe. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I didn't write it entirely myself. I had you know, was there was co authors on it, but but I. I had to kind of finish it. I kind of ad- I, I kind of inherited it unfinished, but I had a really hard deadline that it had to be published by. Yeah. And this was my first, you know, proper roleplay job. And it was kind of like I cannot miss a deadline. Right. I can't I have to meet the deadline. Um, and I've got to now basically finish a role-playing rule book um and make it work, not just, you know, just knock it out. I've got to make it actually work. So yeah. um that was that was a big achievement. That that was many late nights um uh working on that you know sitting with um sitting in the office at 12 o'clock at night everyone else has gone home uh it's just me and mark who was doing the layout literally inputting corrections and type correcting typos and last minute things right up until the very last deadline you know there was days and days of that just to get it right as best we could in the in the so in the little time that we had so that was that was you know i'm pretty proud that we actually you know we met the deadline um i'm proud that we we sold i think we printed originally thirty thousand copies on the first print run and uh i think what i'm really pleased about is that we sold all of them before the release date as in they all got sold in pre-sale so uh it was a you know big success on day of launch in that sense so that so that was that was really, you know, that was really good. As you know, as a first job, I was quite pleased that we actually managed to achieve that. It was a real good team effort to to get it out there, and um, uh, and you know, I think the game kind of stood, you know, stood, you know, stood up for itself. And um, as I say, I do things differently now, probably, and and you know, but um, but at the time, you know, uh, yeah, I was pretty pleased with that. Yeah. Did you see your schedule kind of increase after that release, after that success? Your personal schedule, well, conventions, no, and stuff was, like that. It, the, the vagaries of working in the games industry. This is so. No, is the absolute reverse, the opposite of that. So uh, on the uh, the week that that game was released, uh, Games Workshop uh, decided to make a deal to license out all of the work that I did, as in all the games, Talisman, the board game, and One Fancy Role Playing, Dark Heresy. 
uh, to Fancy Flight Games and actually closed down the 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 bit of the company I was managing because uh, they decided they it was a distraction from their main business, which is toy soldiers and and uh, war gaming. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, they decided to kind of contract their focus back onto what they would call their core business, which is producing you know war games and miniatures rather than board games and role playing games. Right. So. Um, a higher level decision was made to basically well the, the successful games we can we can license them out and uh get a lot of money and do no work for it so uh so basically i launched the game very successfully but then was out of a job so oh. <laughs> so um i was um uh in the games industry in, in the games industry one week and then out of it the next and um and I'd only just started in terms of my game design kind of career. So no one really knew where I was. So people were not knocking on my door offering jobs. So right. uh, I got a um I got a, I went back into the real world and got a and got a real job, you know, working back uh in uh, as a you know marketing director and and um writing copy again and uh, designing promotions and all that kind of stuff and direct sales and all that kind of thing. So I did that for seven years. But what I did do is pretty much straight away, even though I wasn't you know, working for anyone else, I started doing my own stuff. I started, you know, I carried on writing game stuff. I carried on developing, even though I wasn't, you know, publishing it, I was still kind of keeping my hand in and getting ideas. Yeah. And it's around about that time, you know, about a year after I, um moved moved out of gw that um myself and paul fricker um kind of had the idea to kind of like we really have been playing cod theory for a long time and really loved the game but we felt that the it needed a new edition we just felt the old one was a bit creaky and um so we came up with the idea to kind of talk to Kerzim about would they be interested in us developing a new edition of the game and and um we had that conversation and we were pretty surprised when they immediately turned around and said yes we would like you to do it so um so over the course of the next what it would be five six years um me and paul on top of our day jobs in our free time were developing what would become call of cthulhu seventh edition in you know in uh, in our own time and then um yeah which is you know which is what how a lot of people do you know work in this industry they work freelance yeah. they work on top of another job and so it was, it was a kind of norm to to kind of do that we didn't have any expectations that we would be kind of um writing our ways into another full-time job it was a freelance gig we do this give it to Kersium and walk away probably you know maybe try and write something else later but that was the kind of deal yeah um, what does that sound look like? Is it just like you walk in, hey, we want to we want to make this addition, or do you send them like a resume of the things you've worked on, oh. or or just or like, hey, I used to have this fanzine that I made that was all Call of Cthulhu based. You know, can I sure. can I make a game for you? I it's about doing your it's about doing all the preparation and the groundwork before you get to ask that question. Okay. So I mentioned earlier, and you just said again that I did a fanzine. And it was a fanzine that was devoted to the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Mm -hmm. uh, this was back in the late 1990s. The Whisperer, right? The Whisperer, that's right. And um, so when I was doing that, the first issue, I 
contacted Caesium and uh, yeah, I wrote them a wrote them a message and saying, I, "Hey, I'm putting a fanzine together. I uh, hope that's okay. Is there anything I shouldn't do, or is there anything I can do?" And just ask permission, basically. Yeah. And um, they came back with, "Yeah, go for it." And do we need to, you know, do we need to give you a? They they said, "Do we need to give you a license?" And I replied with if you want to but i will make no money on this so you're not getting any money either so they were, oh don't worry about it then just 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 send us a copy when you do it okay and like most fancy like most most fancy things i guess you know they would they weren't expecting i'd do more than one issue probably um so i ended up doing five issues which were like yearly one issue a year um and um through that course i you know developed a relationship with Cosium and I also, you know, this was pure luck, you know, I would go to um, European conventions, there's a convention in Germany that used to be on called Tentacles, and there was a, a convention in the UK that I would go to called uh, Convulsion, Okay. and they were very kind of heavy kind of Chaosium game conventions, a lot of, yeah. a lot of, you know, and RuneQuest being played at those, those things, and so, um, at those conventions, often somebody from Chaosium would be would come a, come and be a guest at the show. So I'm already doing this fanzine, um, and I'm meeting people from Chaosium at these shows, and I'm building and developing the relationship. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of getting to know them; they're getting to know me. I go to these shows anyway and run loads and loads of Call of Cthulhu. And in fact, what I'm also doing is actually encouraging other people to run Call of Cthulhu because I'm bringing other people with me yeah. to run games of Call of Cthulhu. Um, and so Kaysen think, oh, this guy's great. You know, he's, he's uh, you know, really into Cthulhu and he knows his stuff and and he's doing his fanzine and, he's, you know, and so we kind of develop a relationship. So over the course of, I don't know, six, well, maybe a bit longer, maybe eight years or so, I've been okay. doing all this, not getting paid, just this is my hobby. And but getting to know Kaysen while I do it. And so by the time we get to that point where me and Paul uh, happened to be at a convention where the uh, the president of Kaysen was a guest at the time, um, you know, we knew each other. I mean, he played in games I'd run. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So we knew each other enough to have a, you know, a friendly conversation. So we just, you know, sat down and said, hey, we've been thinking about this. And um as I say, he, he returned, and because he knew us already, and he knew that we had a real kind of passion for the game, and that we had a lot of experience in running it, that we, you know, he knew that we weren't just you know, guys off the street who we didn't know, right. and and you know, he had confidence that we could hopefully produce something, you know, and so and so it, all of that relationship building, all of that prep work, all of that, you know hours spent in my own time doing a fanzine all the time kind of spent doing all those kind of things all they all build they're all stepping stones to kind of you know get you to where you want to be yeah and uh, and that's really you know the case in this point so when you sat down and you're coming up with seventh edition what kind of what kind of changes did you kind of want to make what was in your mind like okay we need to this is good but this needs to be changed or this needs to be fixed or we want to work something else out to fit the theme a little bit better what kind of changes were you looking at that you really wanted to tackle like your first your first ballot list of of things sure i mean um a lot of it was really organic because as you know as i said we've we've been running me and paul have been running and writing scenarios for call of cthulhu and then running at conventions for many years and um 
So there's other things, you know, just from our experience, like, you know, hey, um, the grappling rules for Call of Cthulhu, do you, how do you do it? And then, you know, you'd, you'd have a conversation with other, other GMs and everyone would have a different answer. Well, yeah. I kind of do this. And then you look at the rule book and you kind of read it and you're like, it's a bit vague. It's not, it's a, it's not that clear, which is why everyone has kind of interpreted and kind of created their own house rules for how to do grappling mechanics in Call of Cthulhu. So that kind of like goes number one on the list. Like that clearly that rule could be clearer or rethought through uh, because it, there's obviously an issue because if everyone's doing it slightly differently, then the rule isn't working. Right. So that's kind of yeah number one. But then what we actually did is me and Paul actually, we got together because we live in different parts of the country. Uh, we got together and we opened the current edition of the rule book and we literally went page by page through it with making notes going like, we like that. We like that, don't like that, don't like that, or this doesn't quite work. And and we just kind of build up a list because the main issue I had with the old edition was that it wasn't um friendly to new players. Yeah. It was quite dense um and had rules information kind of spread across multiple chapters. So you know, you might be reading the the core rules about combat. But then six pages later on, after something else, there'd be some spot combat rules. And I'd be like, well, wouldn't it be better to just kind of put them all together? Oh, yeah, all in one spot. <laughs> just to make it easier to, to kind of reference, really. So there's, and, and a lot of that was just historical because Chaosium tended to kind of just reprint the rule book, but, but add new stuff in. And rather than spend a lot of time reorganizing and rewriting, they just kind of, you know, just bolted in basically which was fine yeah. you know back in the yeah. day but but people are kind of are coming to games with a bit more kind of you know awareness about gaming in itself and and, and they want to they want a, a kind of an easier entry into books and they want to be able to use the books more um in, in an easier way so you know the, the index works and things were logic you know that things were a logical process through the book the information flow so that was kind of one of my big kind of uh, things I wanted to address. So I wanted to kind of rewrite the rule book from the ground up to make sure that it was uh, approachable and and hopefully it's as clear as we can with lots of really good examples of how these rules actually work in play. And so um, that was a kind of one of the driving forces. The other driving force, which which you know um, Chaosium were very clear about from day one, is that it had to be backwards compatible. Because believe you me, it's far easier to write a brand new rule book than make one that's backward compatible and change things. Yeah. So, so, but that was the rule from day one. So that was fine because we could then look and go, okay, well, that rule is fine. We don't need to do anything with that rule. This rule, we could maybe do something with and actually make it more, you know, more interesting or more, more dynamic in the game or have more relevance. Um, so it was really that kind of process that we went through to kind of define a kind of a shopping list of things where we need to kind of think through new rules or tweaks of rules. Because a lot of a lot of the seventh edition is actually the same rules as older editions. It's just how some roles are interpreted slightly differently. Because in the old rules, it was a simple pass fail on a D one hundred, right? Um, and and maybe there'd be a um, a special success like 20% would get you an impaled success, but that was the only differentiation, it only really mattered in combat. Yeah. Um, and so you know, 
we'd seen games evolving over years and and the whole kind of indie movement of games and game design we kind of you know we were aware of all of that and saw what you know some of the cool things that came out of that and we saw other cool things coming out in other kind of um, more kind of traditional games and we just felt color could, could do with a bit of an injection of a bit of you know innovation uh, and so you know just moving you still roll the same d100 but now you interpret it slightly differently because right. you know you've got lots of success is it uh is it a standard success is it hard success extreme success that kind of thing but you're still doing the same thing you did before so we're not changed what you do it's just slightly the interpretation of what you do so a lot of the a lot of the tweaks are along those lines so that it could be remain backwards compatible while still having a bit of a new lick of paint on some of the areas of the rules really yeah how much work did you have to do on like the layout and like okay we're gonna have a, a splash page here and then like here's a little like a little window that says like a little ex explanation of something you know things like that how much of that did you have a hand in we we, we had a hand in terms of like the explanation stuff in terms of like we we would look at we'd have a chapter and then we'd look about well okay we really need some examples the, the combat's a great example of this uh, combat there's a lot of moving parts in combat it's not just hand to hand there's firearms and right. and there's throwing things and pulling arrows and then there's healing and then dying and maybe not dying yeah. and, and all these kind of and then dealing with creative players that are like i want to move this plant in the way of them running or you know yeah. whatever <laughs> and then you've got grappling as well yeah and so you've got all these things which all come into combat so uh so it can get quite technical quite quickly, and and so especially when you uh, when you run a real combat where one character's got a gun, the other's got a sword, somebody else is doing this, somebody else is trying to swing from the chandelier, chandelier, um, suddenly using all these multiple different kind of mechanics in one combat. So we've come to these kind of points and go like, we need an example here to kind of you know illustrate the rules and make them ensure that people understand what we're trying to do. So we would build in these and we'd write these things and we'd write in these summaries uh, to kind of you know, help us like, aid memoirs when you are running the game. Um, but in terms of layout, we really, um, initially anyway, no involvement. That was really, we were doing the text, we'd give the complete book to Kersia and then they would go and, you know, develop art and and the, uh, the layout and so forth. Um, and... Um, but then as after we you know passed the text over and, and kind of gone through playtesting and all that kind of stuff, um did one our input. So um, you know, that's when you know we were you know giving ideas, but we weren't really involved. But that's the time that actually then turned around and said, Do you did I want to come in and actually work full time and get these books actually yeah, produced? Yeah. Um why I kind of went okay, yeah. <laughs> so I, I left the real world. I went into the imaginary world of game design, and um, so then I was heavily involved in the layout and the and the art direction. In fact, I ended up doing pretty much not if not all of it, but a large part of the art direction and art art uh, commissioning for the for the you know Cthulhu line, and um, working very closely with layout people like Nick Macario, who did the the layout of the original rule book, and. Um, um, you know, helping to kind of fashion those. I mean, I'm not an expert in layout or anything like that, but I had, you know, again, had this vision that I wanted the books to be accessible and readable. So, you know, that was really where I was coming in to kind of say, I think here would be good if we can make sure that box is clear here to read me first or whatever it is and 
all that kind of thing. And this image would work better here than here and all that kind of stuff. So I started to kind of, you know, develop that um, side of the production side as, you know, when I came in uh, to Chaosium, building on the kind of stuff that I'd done with GW, but um, much more kind of intensively and much more kind of hands-on with the uh, with the Call of Cthulhu line, which in, and I've continued to do that going through. But again, not not really, because um, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a lot about, you know, trusting people's expertise and their experience as well. So I've worked with some really, I've, well, I have worked and continue to work with some people who are very fine layout people who know their stuff. And uh, so I'm not, going to be telling them how they should do right, layout right but like but i'll comment that you know or maybe if we could tweak that push that text there a little bit it might just flow a little easier that kind of thing yeah. um so little tweaks little suggestions but you know i trust you know trust people you know know who know what they do you know that's that's the whole point of working in a team like this is to trust people um and you know utilize their experience you know in a positive way so um yeah when you got in, when you first came in, when they're like, we want you to be here full time and work on these full time from that point to now, has your role changed within the um, company? It, not really. <laughs> to some degree, yes, but not really. I mean, ultimately, I was taken on to make sure we could put out lots of Cthulhu books and, you know, a lot of books that, that you know people would want and that would you know generate sales that would then be reinvested into Cthulhu line and Chaosium to allow us to do other books and yeah. so forth. And that's not changed. So I still do exactly that same thing. You know, my job is to get cool books and put them out and hopefully that people have a great time at the gaming table with. But underneath that, there's a lot of kind of changes here. Not not changes. You, you know, like any job, you just tend to take more and more on. Yeah. You know, just oh do that as well and do that. So um, from time to time, at times it occurs to me I've, I've been involved in licensing and working with um, our, uh, our licensees who may be um, who may be doing foreign language editions of Call of Cthulhu, or okay. sometimes our English language licensees um, who are doing you know their own thing based off you know the Call of Cthulhu rules, and you know so I get sent stuff, and you know I'm looking at what they've done, and I might kind of say, hey, you this rule here you know you've not you've actually not quite done it right and so kind of giving them some technical advice or it may be kind of you know artistic advice in terms of uh the words and in terms of um you've decided to kind of use this kind of monster have you thought about using this monster because i think it might fit better or, or that kind of you know but most of the time it's just a bit of hand holding or just sort of or even just saying yeah that reads really well, and right. that sounds like a great adventure. And you know, great carry on. So um, you know, so there's that kind of you know licensing things and approvals. I kind of get involved in every now and again. Um, but um, the longer I mean, the busier I, I just get busier and busier at times. Right. <laughs> so so when I started, it was just me. It was just me doing Call of Cthulhu, um, and um, um, but now it's me, and then I've got a kind of an editorial team who work with me. So uh, um, Lynn Hardy, but now she's she's off now running her own line with Rivers of London, uh, Karis McDonald and uh, Jamie in Australia, and now Paul Fricker has joined the team as well. And so the, the four of us 
kind of working, you know, writing and editing and developing the books, um, as well as um, commissioning art and working with layout people uh, to kind of you know, get the books together, uh, working with people like Matt Ryan to produce the maps and uh, and the handouts for games like Call of Duty, which have a lot of handouts, all that kind of thing. Someone's got to do all of that. Someone's got to start the process saying, right, what is on the handout? Someone's got to actually draw, this is what I think the map should look like, and this is what is in room one and room two and all the rest of it. And then, you know, part of the role is kind of managing that process where you kind of hand it over to an actual artist to, to actually produce the finished thing, but you've got to work with the artist to ensure that, you know, it, it still conforms to what's written in the scenario because, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, maps are an extension of the scenario text in that way. It's, they've got to sync 100%. Otherwise, you look at a map and there's a big kind of cave it's never mentioned in the text. Everyone's going to go, well, what's in the cave? And we are, well, I don't know. Right. But, uh, yeah, so it's got to work hand in glove in that way. So, uh, yeah, kind of, um, I, everyone that said, oh, everyone, I, I get asked, am I busy? Like, yeah, I'm always busy. <laughs> I've always got lots of things to do. So it's a, it's a continual cycle. You know, once you've got one book done, guess what? There's another three coming along. Right. So, um so yeah, it's a constant, it's a constant thing, but it's good. I enjoy it. So that, well, that's good. Basically. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned earlier, kind of, you know, this was kind of an old edition and in its own time. And it almost seems like you've kind of got your finger on the pulse of what the gaming world kind of is, whether it's uh, coming out with PDFs, you know, fairly early compared to a lot of other game game companies coming out with, you know, when, when the pandemic hit coming out with really nice stuff for, for, digital role play whether it's roll 20 or anything like that what is it that you kind of makes you go we need to do this we need to keep our fingers on the pulse is it the fact that maybe it's a smaller company and you can you can blow things through a lot quicker you know you don't have to go through a lot of red tape or what kind of is it that helps along there's with that? A, there's a little bit of that definitely in that kind of a small smaller company like Hosium it's a, it, it's a little bit more agile and can can adapt a little more quickly perhaps um, so there's a little bit of that, and and also, Kerzim's uh, already has always been that company. It's a little left field. We're you know, uh, I'm not sure I can say we're all we're all a bunch of hippies, but certainly it used to be, and and um, all quite a very kind of creative people, very kind of you know, lots of ideas, and and very passionate about the kind of things we do. Um, so that naturally kind of bubbles up these kind of crazy ideas and good ideas and bad ideas and you know we give them a try and sometimes they work sometimes they don't so uh but a small company has that kind of ability to kind of do that sometimes right so yeah there's this uh yeah just kind of being prepared to kind of give things a shot really and give them a go but i mean in terms of you know the real answer to this is fact, i'm a gamer too i i you know i have I don't sit in an ivory tower and you know write these big role-playing games and never play them and never understand yeah. how they're used. Because I'm a gamer. I started as a gamer. I'm still a gamer. I happen to also be a games designer as well now. But I'm still a gamer. I yeah. still role-play. I still run games. I still play in games. So I, 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 you know, and this is not unique to me, but because I do that, I kind of know what works at the gaming table or what I think will work. And even more importantly, I know what I would like to see. So yeah. you know, I, I would like to be able to, 
you know, back in the day, in the early days of computing, when I was role playing, I, you know, I'd be like, wouldn't it be great if there was a program that you could kind of print a load of characters really quickly and print them out? Wouldn't that be brilliant? Oh, that'll never happen. And now we've got it, you know, yeah. and, and and wouldn't it be great if we could role play online, you know, if, if you could like video conference. I mean, I remember going into a, a design studio once many years ago and everyone was really excited and they, and they took me to this computer and said, we've got to show you this new thing. And they showed me a video clip on the computer and it was about that big and they played like 10 seconds of video and it was like groundbreaking because no one had ever seen it before. Yeah. And and, that, and from that to kind of like us chatting on now in right. real time and games in real time, you know, it's a million miles away, but that's what technology can do. And so being, um, you know, being open to that and kind of thinking about how, how can that help me as a player, if it helps me and I think it's cool, then it might help other people too. So, you know, there'll come a day when whatever is in your hand, whether it's your phone still or some thing wired into your skin, whatever it may be, it's going to help you do the gaming better. It may, it may be you press a button and you can do all these great voices. Yeah. As a GM, you know, I speak like all. And you just press the button, you don't have to worry about it, you can just do it or speak with a really good American accent. That would be the one I want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's okay. You all, know, the, all the American people want to speak with your accent, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it's, it's being kind of you know, obviously, you can waste lots of money on technology, so it's kind of like it's always a balance, you know, what's, what's going to work, what's not going to you know, bankrupt the company, but what is going to work and what do people need and what do they want and try to find that right balance, you know, and uh, things like, you know, introducing the the colour color Cthulhu character sheets, you know, they were available as PDFs for a long time, but yeah. building in the kind of the, the autofill features. So, you know, I, I told you already, I don't like doing math. So having the PDFs do all the math for you, I just put in, you know, 50% and it does all the working out for me. Yeah. Saves me time as a keeper from creating pre-gens. Saves me time as a player. I'm going to worry about it. It's all done for me. Now, that was, a, you know, that was a kind of a, you know, I'm sure other people and other companies have done something similar already, but that for us was a new thing. And, um, you know, and we haven't looked back. You know, we continue to do that kind of thing. And we still still talk about character sheets and how to innovate them and take them forward, that kind of thing, make them easy to use and all that kind of thing. You know, we're still not, if we haven't still got a perfect character sheet. We will get there one day, perhaps. Maybe. I don't know if there is such a thing, because things are always evolving, and I was improving, exactly. and I was getting better. So, yeah. yeah. So be it RPGs or board games or video games, movies, what is it about the Lovecraftian lore that just kind of, that you think just kind of draws people in all the time? Because it's a very specific genre. It's in like... When somebody has a genre and it's their genre based on just their stuff, what brings all of those people together for this genre? I think um, ultimately, Call of Cthulhu is a game, is a mystery horror game, uh, and so what? And and that's and that's really cool because actually you're pulling on two different sorts of um, entertainment types. One is horror. And uh, and and horror's got a big audience. People, a lot of people love horror films and reading horror books, but not everyone. And um, 
But then there's mystery, which it kind of, you know, we'll call kind of crime. If you say, if you say, talk about mainstream things, you know, crime and mystery books and police procedurals and detective stories and all that kind of thing are, is one of the biggest genres, you know, in terms of what people like. And so Call of Duty does a little trick of pulling them both together. Because at the end of the day, um, the um, what works for people is, is a good story. Yeah. And that's why we like films. It's why we, why we watch hours and hours of TV and series. And it's why, you know, not everyone, but a lot of people read too. Um, you know, we like a good story. And, and humans have been liking stories since before there was history, you know, getting around the getting around the fire and telling stories to each other and learning and teaching and, and all that kind of thing. You know, we've been doing it a long time. And the reason we've been doing it a long time is because it works and we like it. And role-playing is that wonderful kind of art medium that brings that to you. You know, you get to not only participate in that story, but you have to kind of partly tell it as well in terms of what your character does and, you know, what the NPCs do or whatever, depending on what you're doing. But, um, you know, we're sharing the story. We're sharing a story-making process. And um, the bringing in that kind of mystery horror, horror you know, we could be playing, you know, a fancy game or a sci-fi game. That's cool as well. But for Cthulhu, it's, it's bringing in that kind of horror mystery. And people just love a mystery. You want yeah. to know what's, you don't want to know what, why did that happen? Or who did that? Or why, you know, what's going to happen next? And you're naturally kind of drawn in and you want to, we, we naturally, we want to solve things. You know, we have, it. We, we're, we're presented with puzzles we want to solve them. It's a natural kind of human emotion. So, so um, Call of Cthulhu does that, you know, particularly well, I think. And and and, and so it engages in what we're talking about. It engages you. It engages your mind, engages your interest, and and uh, propels you into the, into it. Um, and kind of going back to the whole kind of Lovecraftian cosmic horror kind of thing. I mean, that just provides a kind of a your kind of dressing around all of those kind of core components right and um the thing is you know why cosmic horror works today is because we are we're all aware of cosmic horror whereas in terms we, we understand far better now um, our kind of humanity's place in the universe even in our in our own lives and our, on the planet you know our our significance we know from you know the kind of early 20th century onwards um our place has kind of been diminished you know we weren't we you know we're not the center of the world we're not the center of the universe the sun doesn't you know we doesn't revolve around us we revolve around the sun and all the rest of it and, all. Um, and so that kind of consciousness we have we we have a we understand kind of what being insignificant is and so we kind of cling cling to what shreds of significance we have and the whole kind of factor of the Cthulhu mythos is kind of like shredding that even further into kind of nothingness and that's the horror that actually we we each day in our real lives we cling to meaning in in whatever way we can you know whatever it, small shred or kind of thing it may be personal relationships your work your what you output how you know how you know all the things around you, you know, it's what we do. It's a natural thing. Right. And, and, and the horror comes from the fact that the mythos shreds that and even, and you become even more insignificant. And so, and I think that, that kind of, that kind of 
basis of horror is something we can more easily understand and comprehend than maybe if we were playing this game 200 years ago or 300 years ago, that concept wouldn't be that well understood yeah. and would seem odd. And, um, but now it, it resonates with us because we, we see it in our lives. And so it feels a bit more real in a sense, uh, I guess. Um, that's a very long-winded roundabout answer. Well, it's not an easy question either, right? It's not an easy question because it's so, the scope is so large. It's really... And, 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 but I should, I kind of need to kind of tail end it by saying, and hey, you know, horror mystery and cosmic horror aren't necessarily everyone's cup of tea. No. You know, it is a subset of, of, of gaming. Um, other people may much prefer no horror in their games. They want a much more kind of heroic journey kind of uh, fantasy-esque type game. And that's cool too. You know, I play those games as well. But I also particularly like horror mysteries. Um, and so, but everyone's got a different kind of take on these things. You know, when I worked for Games Workshop and we, we used to make toy soldiers, um, you know, there was a kind of a saying that, you know, not everyone is into, you know, building model kits. Right. That's fine. You know, if, you, if you're not into that, that's cool. There will be other things you can do that you will have a great time with. And that's what's really great about the hobby that we're in is that, you know, there are so many diverse games and diverse voices kind of doing cool and old and new things um that there's always some there's always something that's gonna be your bag um i just happened to find mine really early in my role-playing career and then made a career out of it so um you know there's hope for everyone i guess yeah <laughs> And for those that are listening, I, I want to emphasize, if you've never played Call of Cthulhu, if you don't know anything about Call of Cthulhu, one of the things I love about it is it's kind of, you can have a rotating cast without a lot of struggle because it's almost designed that way. Like, not ev like you're eventually, eventually you're either going to die or you're going to go insane and you're going to have to make a new character and introduce them into the party, right? So it's kind of yeah, nice. So you can have, you can yeah, introduce... I mean, they're, they're I mean, at the end of the day, it's a horror game, so your characters are at risk of dying, and that's yeah. that's absolutely true. But I've run many a game where the characters all survive. They go on to tell the tale, and they go on and do something else. But, you know, as I say, it's a horror game, so, you know, your character may not have a long life in that in that way. But that's cool, because you're playing a horror game. Yeah. You know, like horror film, you don't expect everyone in the horror film to... To survive to the end, right. there wouldn't be horror then, would it? Right. So you know, as long as you come in with the right kind of understanding of what the game is, then hopefully your expectations will be met. It's when you kind of come in a game and you don't really know what it is, and no one's explained it to you, and, and you and you you kind of think it's just going to be like playing Traveller, and we're going to you know roam around the world, and we're going to make loads of money and do some heists. Right. That's a different game. That's you know that's you know, but that's not the player's fault. They they've not been bought into the fold and got an appreciation for it. And, yeah. and as I say, it doesn't, doesn't um, float everyone's boat, but for plenty of people it does. And some people like it as a diversion to the other games they do, because it plays, as you say, quite differently sometimes. Yeah. Like, uh, it's quite a different feel to other games. So it can be quite a good palate cleanser between your, whatever your regular game is, or you may get hooked like me and you end up playing big campaigns of Call of Cthulhu. Right. Uh, and maybe your character does survive six years of play in a campaign and and so forth. But yeah. um, it's all there to play for. And that's yeah. 
it's very flexible game in that way that you can play really cool one shots like a like a horror film one shot yeah or yeah. you can play these you know, grand campaigns that could go on for any anywhere from a a month to you know three six years right if, uh, depending on your gaming group and if you introduce a new character you're not you're not introducing a first you know in D D terms you're not introducing there's a, no levels yeah there's no, no levels so you're not introducing a first level character with a bunch of 18th level where you don't have to build everybody is it's, it's fairly well balanced even as the game progresses and as you get stronger you can still introduce a new character and it's just as easy yeah. so it's easy, yeah really is easy and uh and it and they're not you know they're all characters are equal in Cthulhu in a sense they're all on the same level in that sense no one ever gets higher than that and never gets lower than that so so that balance is is inbuilt that you never feel that oh you know everyone's my character died and everyone's got everything out everything they need no your character could come in your new character could come in with some special knowledge or a skill that nobody else has got and suddenly you are now the expert in the group right. you are now core player um and um yeah, it can work in all sorts of ways like that. Yeah, I love it. You've got a new book out, right? The Arkham Setting book. Yeah, yeah, sure. Tell, tell um, us about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it uh, it was uh, released uh, last week. Uh, it's just called Arkham uh, for Call of Cthulhu. It's a, it's a it's a supplement for the game. And um, if probably for, you probably heard the word Arkham before because um you know if you watch a Batman film right. Arkham was something in Batman and all that kind of thing um but Arkham was originally um a fictional town created by the guy who actually you know invented Cthulhu and all that kind of thing and and what the game is kind of draws some of its initial kind of uh, basis from um and um it's this fictional town in New England and um, Arkham book basically is a the town in a book. So if you imagine it's uh, everything you need to play games set in this witch-cursed, haunted kind of town in New England in the 1920s, um, everything you need to know, where everything is, who's who, what do they know, what secrets do they have, what monsters are living in the basement, all that kind of stuff. And... Um, so you can run it as a, a backdrop to you know your scenarios if you're running published scenarios or your homebrewing scenarios it can be like a your setting equally you can use the book as a big sandbox campaign you know you want to kind of have a group of investigators and players in arkham uh and they're so you know full of detail there that you can then kind of sandbox it and say okay so this these stories have come from the news or you've heard this rumor what, what do you want to do? And yeah. you can literally reform it through. So it works, you know, covers covers all the bases in that way. It kind of works as a, you know, a very kind of um, exciting and interesting kind of setting and works as a, a, a equally as, as a sandbox. And this is Arkham, which is the home to the Miskatonic University, yeah. which has got a copy of the Necronomicon in it. And uh, there's ghouls that live in the, live in the graveyards and, there's a strange witch cult hidden away that nobody knows about that get up to dubious things. You've got all these many lots of things happening, uh, but you control it all. And it's all presented in a, you know, a, a very kind of easy to read, easy to use kind of fashion um, that you can kind of pull bits and change them. And it's very malleable. So, yeah, that's just just come out and you get it from Um, You can buy the PDF, you can buy it in the print if you buy the print. 
you also get the PDF for free. It comes with these big maps of Arkham, the street plans and all lots of cool things and a prop newspaper, you know, the Arkham Gazette with all these stories in, you can use as plot seeds and all kind of cool things like that. So that's that's available from us now, but also um, you can be out, you, you can get it in game stores as well. Um, and wherever you can buy role-playing games, big yeah. drive-through or yeah, you find a local game store. So yeah, that's just come out and um um very excited to kind of see the reviews that are coming in now, which will all seem to be pretty glowing, fingers crossed. So uh yeah. I love those immersion books that really get you in there, that get the details in and like here's the here's everything on in this area, or here's this character that runs this business, you know, stuff like that. I love those little absolutely little attention yeah. to details things are just so much fun just to just even if we don't play through them, just to read them and go, Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's neat. What other Absolutely. stuff you got coming up? You got other stuff that's in the works that you can talk about? That's not yeah, quite up sure. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to follow Parkham. There's a couple of um, scenario collections uh, that are coming out uh, thereafter. There's a uh, one is a kind of a, a mini campaign. It's like a three three part three scenario campaign that um, takes place um, partly in Arkham nearby and and a bit on the sea as well. Without giving too much away, that's called the Curse. No, no. That's called the Order of the Stone, and um, that's going to be coming out fairly soon. Uh, and we've also got another scenario collection, uh, which is called No Time to Scream, and that is um, that's three... a terrifying name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, No Time to Scream. I keep thinking of James Bond, but No Time to Die, but No Time to Scream, and um, that's three scenarios that you can play that. that take about an hour to two hours to play each one so they're like an evening's game um and they are um set up to be quite um accessible for if you're a, if you're a new gm or you've got a bunch of new players uh they're, they're quite um introductory in nature in a sense and you can kind of play them together and maybe take, take a group through um and they come and they come with sets of pre-gen characters and there's one one takes place in a in a hospital morgue. There's one out in the um out in the um the mountains with a, a um a raid on a bootleg gin distillery. And uh and there's another one where you're invited to the 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 old the old wooden cabin of this old professor who's got something to show you uh, that he thinks you'll find interesting. And um all of these, you know then open out to these weird and wonderful kind of crazy plots where strange things will happen and uh otherworldly monsters and, and whatnot will um come and you know bother your players and whatnot so they're all a lot of fun and so we've got those two um coming out in the not too distant future and um and then after that uh, a little later in the year um i'm really pleased we're going to have um the Victorian kind of late Victorian setting for Call of Cthulhu, oh. which is called Cthulhu by Gaslight. Nice. And this is going to be a, a, a brand new edition of that kind of setting for the game, um, which kind of primarily kind of focuses on kind of the um, the UK, England, into sort of that kind of Victoriana kind of yeah. you know, place, London and Queen Victoria and all that kind of thing. Or like the but Sherlock Holmes era absolutely that so and so we've expanded that a little bit more so we're actually um expanding it out so you know not only concentrate on london but the whole uk there's a kind of 
you know, guide to uh, parts of the UK and, and things going on, but, the, but also across the Atlantic to the East Coast, you know, Victorian era, Boston and Chicago and New York, that kind of thing. So you can, you know, you don't have to be based in England or you might travel between the two. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also Europe as well. So, you know, you can, it's kind of quite an expansive kind of view on it, but we'll be releasing uh, two core books for that, Included by Gaslight Line, there'll be like the uh, the player's guide, which is um, gives you all this kind of setting material, everything you need to know as a player, uh, character generation, and also includes a all the kind of core rules for Call of Duty. So you can buy the first Gaslight book, and uh, you don't need to you know slowly go and buy the core Call of Duty rule book because you've got all the kind of the basic rules in there to be able to play the game. You might later on you want to get into deeper stuff might want to go and buy the rule book later on but you don't have to and you certainly don't have to straight away so that's like um uh the analogy would be a bit like the D player book and it's got all the rules in character gen and everything you need to know as a player about the victorian era you know what equipment can i get what the weapon's gonna buy how does how do i get around what you know what's uh what's you know if there's no cars what do i go you know well there's carriages and these are the different types and all that kind of yeah. stuff and then that's followed by a keeper guide to gaslight, which is all the all the secret stuff that you know players shouldn't know. Yeah. All the you know all the dark conspiracies and the villains and the monsters and um, scenarios in that book as well. So um, and together they kind of form the core kind of components for the the gaslight line. And then there'll be other kind of gaslight collections of adventures and campaigns that will follow that. You know, uh, down the line uh, as we go forward. But um, they're the big things. I'll, I'll say one. I'll give you one sneak peek of one other thing. All right. Um, we, we've got a, a a very very cool um, modern day. As in, well, I say modern day because I I think of because Call of Cthulhu's the main setting is a kind of nineteen twenties thirties. So anything past that in my head is modern day. So this is modern day, but it's set in the nineteen eighties. Okay. which isn't that modern now is it really but in the 1980s um in japan and uh that's probably all i can say other than okay there are uh if you've ever heard of uh a, 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 a kind of a mythos thing called the king in yellow yeah um yeah. that's uh that that entity is heavily heavily involved oh. in that particular uh okay. campaign and um but i won't say any more on that but but uh, there will be more on that later on this year and that's pretty cool, I have to say. That is, um, uh, if, if whether you're a King in Yellow fan or not, it's a, it's it's a great bunch of uh, scenarios that form a uh, really interesting and innovative campaign. So we've got that one uh, to look forward to as well. But I keep saying, I won't say any more. Can't say any more. I'll get to all that. <laughs> all, all right. So coming up, you're going to be at Chaosium Con in the U.S. on April 13th and 16th, correct? Yeah, so I mean, that's in uh, Ann Arbor in Michigan, just outside of Detroit uh, in April at Chaosium Con. And uh, I think tickets are still on sale that. for that. You can find them uh, by going to our website, chaosium.com. Um, and then um, a couple of months later, I'm actually going to the first Chaosium Con, Chaosium Con Australia, which Australia. is in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. So uh, it's a bit of a... Uh, um, fly in the world at this point so 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 i'm really looking forward to uh to both ann arbor and australia because uh it's great to kind of meet 
the people who you know uh, who are playing with the books and um, playing the games and getting their feedback and listening to them and playing games with them as well. So that's um, you know real high points yeah. of the year for me to uh, be going to those ones. And the Australia um, one is June eighth and 9th, I have. Yeah, and again, just go to the Kersian website and yeah, you should be able to find more information. I think the tickets for the Australia one haven't quite gone on sale yet, but uh, I think they're going on sale any day any day now. Okay. I think. Awesome, and awesome. Then, you're going to be doing a symposium that's called, uh, now hold with me on this, Areas of Effect, Planar Systems, Critical Roles, and Gaming Imaginaries. I think oh, I got yes. it. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a, uh, an unusual one. That's a, uh, that's a one-day kind of, um, not really a convention. It literally is like a symposium yeah. of um, different talks and panels on role-playing games. And that's happening in in London, uh, England, um, March 9th. And, uh, yeah, in March, and uh, it's actually happening inside an art gallery, so it should be really cool. So uh, I'm going down to uh, talk about horror games and Cthulhu and uh, and that kind of thing. So uh, that'll be really interesting. I'll be joined with a lot of other kind of um, people who work in the industry and game designers and so forth. So it should be kind of uh, a lot of interesting things to hear and question and, and so forth so yeah. that'd be cool and they got some gaming um, there too i saw it's like oh that's kind yeah of cool. yeah they're going to do um because it's kind of it's kind of aimed at people who game and who don't game but have got an interest it's kind of you know fairly free form yeah. but they are doing a, a kind of a live play at the end of the day so you can watch how a game happens if you've never seen role playing before you can watch a, watch your game uh, kind of going on and and see what's involved and all that kind of thing yeah nice and then you've got Necronomicon in Providence on August yeah, well, 15th and 18th. Yeah, I'm, I'm, back in the, I'm back in the summer in the August into back to the US for um, actually GenCon to start with in Indianapolis. Okay. Um, and then um, and then a couple of weeks later, it's uh, Necronomicon in Providence, Rhode Island, which is, uh, again, again another um, highlight of the year for me because it's a, it's a convention that is purely about... Um, Lovecraftiana, weird fiction, Cthulhu, horror game, horror fiction, uh, weird fiction, and so it's uh, it's there's a there's kind of like uh, you get a lot of writers in terms of novelists and short story writers, artists to paint horror and weird art, and a load of gamers like me who turn up and run play lots of games and and uh, panels and and talks and things like that. So it's um, it's a great chance to kind of meet up with people I've. You know, work with um, who I don't see often face to face. You know, writers I work with and artists and so forth, um, and um, get together and you know tell tall tales about Cthulhu and and the Necronomicon and and all that kind of crazy stuff. So uh, yeah, looking forward to all of those. Awesome. Your socials, people can find you on X at Mike Mason on Facebook backslash Mike D Mason, or Blue Sky at Mike of Cthulhu. Also, you guys can check out Chaosium Games, their Facebook backslash or forward slash Chaosium Inc. On X, Chaosium underscore Inc. Instagram, Chaosium Twitch. Guys, they have a Twitch channel, backslash Chaosium Inc. And on Blue Sky at Chaosium as well. Did I get all those right? Or at least close to right? You did, yeah, yeah. We've got, we, we, we're like everyone else, we've got, we're, we've got tentacles everywhere across social media. And uh, we've got uh, on YouTube, there's... You can catch on Twitch and YouTube. You can see a lot of live play games. Um, 
um, uh, pre-recorded games of people playing a lot of the you know Call of Duty adventures or, or other games that we do like Pendragon and RuneQuest and Seven Sea, um, whatever whatever flavor of gaming you like. Uh, if 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 we do one as Cosium, you can come and watch and and see what we do and uh, get a feel for some of the games as well. If you've not if you've not tried them as well, awesome. Mike, thank you for being here and joining us on the podcast. Those watching the live stream, we will do the live stream Q&A here in a moment. So please make sure to get your questions in the chat for Mike. Everybody, I want to let you know coming up, we're going to be having Christopher Schmitz. He's an amazing author. He's got over two dozen novels out there, and he does almost every single genre in fiction. If you've got a genre of fiction that you like, chances are he has a series in that. He's a really hardworking author, does some amazing work. So he's going to be joining us on March 11th, live right here on stream. Or you can catch that podcast. That'll be available March 12th. So for Mike Mason, I am Nick. And I want to thank you all for listening to Epic Realms. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. And I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Epic Realms.